Hi, my name is Steve. I'm a member of King's Cross Church as well as part of the worship team. And you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, you can visit kingscross.org. Thank you. I don't think I introduced myself. Uh, if you're new, and man, are we seeing new people every week. Um, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 32. So if you want to grab a Bible and be turning there, or grab your phone and open up your Bible app, Genesis chapter 32. While you are there, let me um, do a little bit of housekeeping. We have this week and one more week where those of you who are out in the lobby and are serving us well by being out there, thank you. But in, on March 5th, we're adding a second service. And so hopefully um, you will not have to be out there much longer. We're, we're thankful that you are, but, um, but we want you in here um, with us. And so that's coming on March 5th. A couple things related to that. The first one is there'll be identical services, one at 9 and one at 1030. And we'll tighten things up a little bit to make sure that we get out um, on time to be able to make that transition. But they'll be identical. Um, many, many of you, and we're so very thankful for this, raised your hand and said, um, I know we need more servant leaders when we go to two services. I'm willing to serve the church by doing that. If you did that and you said, I'm willing to serve, you should have been contacted by now. Okay, so if you haven't gotten an email or a text or a phone call, double check your spam folder because sometimes stuff gets caught. But if you haven't been contacted, then you probably didn't give us your contact information. Okay, which happens, that's okay. Um, So if you're willing to volunteer, but you haven't already been contacted, grab a connection card in the seat in front of you. Give us all of your contact information, especially your email address and your phone number. um, And remind us where you're willing to serve, and, and we will reach out to you this week. Okay, but it's not because we're ignoring you or because we don't love you or because we were really hoping that you wouldn't volunteer. It's like we we really need a whole lot of volunteers, not him. But that's not the case, okay? So it's probably you didn't give us your email address. Um, So please, please do that. Um, Here's the reason why, or one of the reasons why we're, we're asking you to serve. It's not because we need warm bodies, Okay, we we are not asking you to serve because we just need somebody to stand by the door. Okay, it's not that. Our desire is that everybody who calls King's Cross home would be connected in community. And we know, if you look at the wall on your way out, we know that the way that's going to happen is because you're in authentic relationships with people who are also a part of King's Cross. And the best two ways or the easiest two ways for that to happen is if you're a part of a serve team and you're a part of a small group. And so part of what we want to do is leverage this moment that's leading up to March 5th. We want to leverage it for you because we want to help you get connected. But also what we want to do is encourage you to leverage the moment for people who might be close to you but far from God. Or people who might be close to you but far from a church. A ton of your neighbors have just moved here. 
A ton of you have just moved here, and, and they don't have a church home yet. There are some people who, over the past couple of years, just drifted away from church, and they're finding it hard to get re-engaged. But I will tell you that people like to start things at new beginnings. This is why New Year's resolutions are so popular. It's why everybody starts a diet on the first of the month, right? It's why families like to move in the summer not during the school year because they want to make sure that kids start new on the first day of school with all of their, their peer group, right? So here's my encouragement is pray and ask God to put someone on your heart that you need to invite March 5th and tell them, hey, we're adding a new service. It's going to be a great time for people to step into the life of what it is that God's doing at our church because March 5th is going to be different for all of us, Right? Not just for new people. Because right now, no one is attending a 9 o'clock service. And no one's attending a 10.30 service. So they're going to be in the exact same place um, that you are. And so it's a natural time for people to join you. So, so leverage that. You see uh, in Mark 2, there's this great story in Mark 2 of a man who's paralyzed. And his friends hear that Jesus is in town, and they want to get their friend to Jesus because they think that maybe Jesus will be able to heal him. But the house that Jesus is teaching in is packed out. It's standing room only. There's people spilling out into the courtyard. And so these dudes carry their paralytic friend up on the roof, and it's like a sodden earthen roof. They dig a hole through it and lower their buddy down to meet Jesus. And in Mark 2, 5, it says that Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Like that's the impact of an invite. That like sometimes what people need is for their friends to go with them. Sometimes what people need is for their friends to come with them. So pray and ask God to make you that type of friend. That your faith might encourage someone else's faith through something as simple as saying, hey, why don't we go together? Would you just be open-handed to, to pray about that and leverage the moment of a new beginning on March 5th to invite people that you've been a little hesitant uh, to invite? Okay, Genesis 32. Um, to this point in the story, if you're, if you're following along, we're, gonna, we're covering the whole Bible this year, so every now and then i got to give you just a little bit of a recap, because if you're brand new and this is your first week, I, I don't want you to feel disoriented in any way. So to this point in the story, what we've seen is that God created everything. He created it out of nothing, and he created it good. And mankind's response to God's good creation was rebellion, we sinned against God, we trusted ourselves, not Him, and we took up arms against our Creator and wrecked all kinds of havoc, unleashed all types of consequences into God's good creation. Now, God's response to our rebellion was covenant promises. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a Redeemer who is going to make all of this new again. Much of what follows in Genesis is kind of this progressive unveiling of how it is that the covenant promises God made in the beginning are going to be kept. And so, for example, we learned in the story of Noah that God himself is going to be faithful no matter how unfaithful his people are. 
We learn as God calls a man named Abraham that the covenant promises of God are going to be worked out not through like some lone superhero figure, although he's coming later, but through a covenant people of God. And so these people are going to come through the descendants of Abraham. Last week we saw that God himself was going to provide everything that was going to be necessary for those covenant plans to be fulfilled through his covenant people. And so he's going to work through them as they trust in him and rely on him and look to him. And so what God has been doing is progressively revealing not only himself, but the mechanisms by which his covenant plans are going to be Um, played out, how it is that this grand story of a redeemer who will come and make all things new again, how it is that that is going to unfold. And this week, the story brings us to a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac who was spared from being sacrificed last week, and he's the grandson of Abraham. He's also, like just to be really honest, not a great guy. Genesis 6-9 says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We're introduced to Abraham in Genesis 12, and God comes out of the gate strong with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing to all the people of the earth. Isaac is born in Genesis 21, and he's a miracle baby. He's born to a 100-year-old dad and a 90-year-old mom. He is the son of promise. Jacob is born in Genesis 25, and we're told two things about him. The first thing we're told is that he struggled with his twin brother Esau in his mother's womb. They're fighting in utero. And all the moms said, yeah, ouch, that's right, not amen. That's, that's exactly right. It's so bad that their mom cries out to God for relief. That this is not normal, isn't it cute? That there's a struggle going on in the womb. The other thing we're told is that they named him Jacob, Jacob. It means he cheats. Now, for 21st century Americans... Baby names are just names we like, right? They don't mean anything. Um, You know, maybe if you're a junior like me, it means that your dad had the same name or, you know, some of our girls have names that are family. But but the the literal meaning of the word of the name, it doesn't mean anything. But 2,000 years before Christ, names matter. The names are a big deal. And so his name means he cheats. He is a deceiver. It's as, as if... If you can imagine, you know, going to the hospital and your friend has twins. And you say, oh, these twin boys are so beautiful. They say, yes, we'd like for you to meet them. This is little Larry, and this is his brother, Liar. (laughs) And you're like, whoa, okay, Jacob. He cheats. As Jacob's life unfolds, he lives up to his name. In Genesis 25, he bribes an exhausted and hungry brother Esau into giving up his birthright for a bowl of soup. It's not even good soup. It's not like loaded potato soup with some fresh cheddar sprinkled. It's lentil stew, right? Like, 
Genesis 27 schemes with his mother to deceive and trick his aging and blind father into giving him the blessing that was rightly due his brother Esau as the firstborn. In Genesis 28, he's such a coward that he and his mom, he's quite the mama's boy, he and his mom devised this plan for him more or less to go on the lamb from Esau because he's worried about being killed. He gets a taste of his own medicine in Genesis 29. He falls in love with this young woman and he tells her dad, he says, I'm willing to work for, you know, I don't, I don't have a dowry to give you, so I'll work. And he says, well, you're going to need to work for seven years to marry my daughter, Rachel. He says, I'll do it. And he wakes up the morning after the wedding and he was tricked. And he's married to the older sister, Leah. And he grumbles and the father-in-law's like, let's tell you, man. Can't marry off the younger before the older. Give me another seven years. You can have Rachel too. So he gets a little bit of a comeuppance, and he does that. In Genesis 30 and 31, he's on the move again. This time he's running from that same father-in-law, Laban. By the time you get to Genesis 32, he is staring face-on at this long-dreaded meeting with his brother Esau, from whom he's been worried he's going to get killed. And he, what he does is he sends his whole family out in front of him like some type of human shield, just hoping that Esau and his camp may not want to kill all of Jacob's family in order to get to Jacob. And so he's hoping to stave off this attack by using his family as a shield in front of him. Anything in there make you want to hold Jacob up as a paradigm of virtue. This is like who he is. There's this scene in an old Seinfeld episode. Mr. Costanza is talking about his time in Korea. And he says, uh, you know, I fell in love with this woman and um, you know, her dad didn't like me, and he, and he recalls this Korean phrase that the father used about him. And he says, the translation, it means, uh, this guy, this is not my type of guy. <laughs> this is Jacob. Jacob is not our type of guy. And yet, throughout the rest of the Bible, the covenant people of God are going to go by his name. This man who was a deceiver and a coward his whole life is the one that God is going to use to continue his covenant plans to bring about a redeemer who will make all things new again. And in the story of Jacob, we peel back one more layer. We're shown one more facet of God's progressive revelation and we see this biblical truth that's in your notes. That God's covenant people are shaped by His covenant plans. It's not that God goes out and finds people perfectly prepared to fulfill the job to which He's calling them. What he does is he goes out and finds people and he shapes them so that they can fulfill the plans that he has for the whole world. In the story of Jacob, we see a microcosm of all God's people, both as a collective whole and as individuals, of people shaped by, conformed, transformed by God through the work of his son into the image of his son. They're going to be shaped by God's covenant plans. Let's read. You can follow along. Genesis 32, 
verses 22 to 30. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok, that's the river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So four ways, or four Patterns, maybe, that in Jacob we see how it is that God's covenant people are shaped by God's covenant plans. The first one is this. The covenant people of God are going to be a people who suffer. They're going to be a people who suffer. This man that Jacob wrestles with is the Lord himself. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus. This isn't the only time we see this in the Old Testament. We don't have time to unpack all of them, but there are multiple ones. If you have questions about that or questions about anything else that has to do with this series, you can email questions to the story at kingscross.org, the story at kingscross.org, and maybe um, if you have some, Josh and I will try to unpack those in the next Q&A podcast, which is coming up in a couple weeks at the end of chapter two. Did you know we have a QA and a podcast? Yeah, okay, good. Um, subscribe to the podcast and you'll get those dropped in because there's more on there than just the sermons. We're going to try to do these little Q&As. So email us, maybe we can unpack it there a little bit more. For, more. for now, it's enough to know that Jacob in verse 30 clearly understands that he has had an encounter with the Lord God himself. And in that encounter, Jacob's after a blessing. This has been Jacob's MO his whole life. He's always looking for an angle. He's always trying to find a pathway to blessing. He did it with the birthright and the blessing of Esau. He did it with Laban's daughters. Even in the way that he is moving around from place to place, he is trying to make sure that he keeps himself in a place of blessing. And what he's finally going to learn in Genesis 32 is that the pathway to blessing involves suffering. Yes. He is going to get what he always wanted. If you read ahead to Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12, God is going to make it clear that all the covenant promises and covenant blessings of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac now belong to Jacob. Verse 11 of Genesis 35, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. What does that sound like? Genesis reiterated in Noah. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. What's that sound like? Abraham. 
and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. He is going to get all the covenant blessings and covenant promises of God. You know what else he got? A lifelong limp. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. It reminds me of a father wrestling with a young child and not prevailing. And all it would take is one pop. Jacob receives from the Lord physical pain, a slowness and a restriction of movement, an inability to do some of the things that he used to do. And if you've been following along in the devotional plan this week, you know that Jacob seems to be a pretty well put together guy. I mean, he does some things physically that are, that are pretty impressive. He gets a physical ailment that is so pronounced and so famous that verse 32 says, to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. Can you imagine if like, you, were, you had some accident or some injury to your leg and then the next time you went to Harris Teeter and maybe you know, you're planning on frying up some chicken legs and they said, oh no, 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 no. Americans don't eat chicken legs anymore. And you're like, why not? And they say, because we heard about what happened to your leg. And we are all so grossed out by it that we don't even... Like, that's not a small thing. Jacob's not unique in this. How much suffering was there along the pathway to blessing for Job? Or for Moses? Or King David? or Jeremiah, or Ruth, or Hosea, or Paul, who pleaded with the Lord, will you please take it away? Nope. Or Peter? You think that was a fun breakfast on the beach for Peter? When Jesus says, no, no, no. Do you love me? You think that moment was fun? How about Timothy, a young pastor so racked with self-doubt and anxiety that he has to get letters from his mentor to say, it's going to be okay, man. Here's the challenge that you and I face. We want to skip ahead to the blessings of chapter 35 without the suffering of chapter 32. What we want is the abundance of the promised land without the slavery of Egypt. What we want is the joy of the Philippians without the prison from which Paul wrote it. We want the soaring heights of John's revelation without the exile on the island of Patmos. We want the triumph of the resurrection without the torture and the death of the cross. We want the blessing, but not the suffering. And it is not because we're bad people. It's because we're human. But what God says over and over and over again in the Scriptures is that His people are a people who suffer. Romans 8, 16-17 may say it more clearly than anywhere else. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, heirs, Christian brothers and sisters, to a cosmic kingdom, Jesus says you will reign on the throne with me, yes and amen, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. And so the struggle for us is that the covenant people of God, like God's Son, are a people who suffer. And it's hard. Second, the covenant people of God will be a people who strive. A people who strive. I love verse 26. The angel of the Lord, my contention is that it's a pre-incarnate Jesus. I'm convinced of that. Says, all right, the night's almost over. Dawn's coming. Enough of this. Let me go. Jacob says, no. Not unless you bless me. Jacob started off his life striving with his brother in his mother's womb. Now he's striving with God on the banks of the Jobok. And the Lord says to him in verse 28, you have striven with God and with men. What began here with Jacob is going to become characteristic of God's people. In the writings of the prophet Isaiah especially, there is this striving between the Lord and His people throughout the book. And more than any other prophet, the way that Isaiah is going to refer to the covenant people of God, he calls them over and over and over and over again the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob, the house of Jacob, the people who strive. Jesus tells us that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He also says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter it and will not be able. Paul encourages Christians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The New Testament is going to encourage us to strive together in prayer, to strive to excel in the building up of the church, to strive to enter into the rest of Christ, to strive for peace and to strive for holiness. Paul is going to tell Timothy, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. I will tell you that in my experience there is this notion in the modern Western mind that faith should be easy. God should make Himself known beyond all questions and doubts. It's cruel of Him not to do so. All the mysteries of life and the universe should be easy to comprehend. Why should there be anything that I don't know or understand? All knowledge should be easily accessed and abundantly applied. Suffering should be rare and should be lived. Prayers quickly answered with a yes. Churches always harmonious and free from any of the effects of sin that people might bring through the front doors. Surely, coming to faith and living out faith shouldn't be difficult. Right? Surely this should be Easy. Now, we don't assume that with athletic or academic adventures. We don't assume that with invention or innovation. We don't assume that with 
political progress or with vocational advancement. No, in these things, we expect to have to work for it. We even pride ourselves on being people who persevere and who overcome and who have achieved, have gained some things that all people do not. And isn't that a badge of honor? When it comes to faith, we suspect that that should be easy and we get frustrated with God when it's not. Why is this so hard? And yet Jesus says to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I have also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3 is going to say in Matthew 10, to the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't love that. Enduring's hard. Man, conquering's hard. Jesus conquered. Just rain it down on me. I'd like to take a leisurely cruise to the new heaven and the new earth. Are we greater than Jacob or Paul? Or could it be? That in his great love and mercy and grace and wisdom, that God's covenant plans shape us into the people that he wants us to be through the striving. Could it be that one of the ways we know that we're part of God's covenant people is because we strive? That it's Hard to believe, to live on mission, to grow in the gospel. Could it be that it's actually a mark of God's covenant people? Because they have always been a people who strive. Third, covenant people of God will be a people who are changed. A people who are changed. Look back at verse 27 and 28. The angel of the Lord says to Jacob, What is your name? Has the Lord forgotten Jacob's name? This is an easy one. This is your moment. You've been waiting to answer back to me in one of these questions, but you're fearful that maybe you don't know your Bible that well. And you're okay. Has the Lord forgotten Jacob's name? No. See, you're on your way. No. He has not. He's asking Jacob to confirm it. He's making Jacob admit that his name is appropriate. What's your name? And he said, Jacob. He says, I am a cheat. I am a deceiver. I am a heel. Verse 28, and then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Now in Hebrew, that's an idiom. And the translation suffers a little bit because of it, but it, it, it's something more like, they shall no more say. They shall no more say, Yahab. They shall no more say, he cheats. They shall no more say, he's a deceiver. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and men and have prevailed. Isra means to strive, and Ael means God. So Israel means God strives or God rules, perhaps. 
to this point in his life, Jacob has always come out on top. Over Esau, over Isaac, over Laban. To this point, Jacob has striven with men and prevailed. But now, now he has met a man over whom he will not prevail. Now, God rules. No longer will they say, Israel Yaakov, Jacob rules. Now they will say, Israel, God rules. And Jacob is changed. Because now he doesn't just pick up a limp, his heart is changed. It's fundamental change. His character is being made new. This renaming is very, very significant because it indicates a fundamental change. Friends, you heard Megan say this earlier. It's so good. Especially if you're here and you're not a Christian yet. You need to understand that Christianity is not behavior modification. Sure, you're going to live differently if you come to have a saving relationship by, with God through Christ. Yes, you're going to do some things differently. You're going to live and act differently. Yes, but at the heart of faith in Christ is the truth that to know God is to be changed. The prophet Ezekiel is going to say, it's as if you had a heart of stone and God took it away and gave you a heart of flesh. Jesus is going to say, it's almost as if you have to be born again. In Romans, Paul is going to liken it to being justified in a court of law. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Change. Have you been changed by God's grace through faith in Christ? And if you would look back and say, yes, that happened to me years ago when I was a kid. I remember it very good. I was at VBS. And, okay, but are you being changed by God's grace through faith in Christ? When we say that at King's Cross, we want every person to grow in the gospel. This is part of what we mean. It's this ongoing process of being changed into a people who are more and more like Christ. Friends, might I suggest to you that if no part of your life has been changed by Christ, you probably don't know Him. But here's the good news. You can. You can know Him. And you can be changed. Because just as was the case with Jacob, all the covenant people of God forth are a people who are changed. This is the fundamental defining factor. They will be a people who are changed. Verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. He said, I've seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. I've been saved. There is a day coming, friends, when everyone who has ever lived will have to stand before God and give an account. And on that day, no one will prevail if they stand alone. Hear me, you cannot be good enough. You cannot be generous enough. You cannot be hardworking enough. God is not going to say, 
Chip, it's okay. Bless your heart, you did as good as you could. I know how you are. It's all right. Why don't you just come on in? You're from Kentucky, man. You started off behind. (laughs) You're not going to be able to point to Hitler. Say, well, I wasn't as bad as him. That's not the scale. Scripture's clear. You will either be perfectly holy or condemned. Those are the options. God is clear in Exodus 33.20. No one can see Him and live. And yet Jacob did. How? Jacob prevailed in a sense through suffering and submission because the one he wrestled with was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he was saved. Because Jesus saved him. And that's how you and I will be saved too. You and I, in a sense, have to wrestle with Jesus. What are you going to do with him? You're going to believe that he is who he said he was? That he did what he said he did? What the eyewitnesses testify that he did? Are you going to trust, not in yourself, as Jacob did his whole life, but finally in him, as Jacob learned to do? You're going to repent of your sin and receive, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ, everything that is so freely offered to you by him? Or will you try to prevail on your own? Maybe like Jacob, You've been running for a long time. And you've done okay. Jacob had done okay. Maybe you've been running on your own, under your own plans. for. And you know what? Like, things are going pretty good for you. Friend, do not be deceived. Only one person can sit on the throne of your life. God is not going to share His glory or His authority with you. Apart from you being united with His Son in faith. In which case, He says, His righteousness will become yours and you will receive a glory like His. But you do not want to stand there on your own and talk about how hard you worked. It's going to take some striving. There's going to be suffering along the way. And hear me, You will be changed, but you will also be saved. And when you are like Jacob, you will inherit all of the covenant promises and the covenant blessings of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that in my own life, what I very often want is to walk in an abundance of your blessing and to be shielded from suffering. What I often want in my own life, Father, is a very little amount of striving with an abundant amount of fruit that comes from it. And so I just confess that. And I'm sure there are many others in the room who would confess the same thing to you. 
What I desire in my life is to submit to you as Christ did to say, not my will, but yours. And so I need your help in that. We need your help in that. We don't want you to have to pop our hip out of socket to get our attention. But Father, if that's what you have to do, will you do it today, now, this week, so that we can get on into walking in the fullness of your will and stop this wrestling that we might recognize you are already on the throne. You don't need our permission or our invitation to be there. You just need us to recognize it and bow down before it. We want to be a church that is a place where people are shaped by the gospel. Would you help us in that? We want to be a church that shapes the community you've placed us in with the gospel. Would you help us in that for your sake, not our sake? Would you make us a people whose very name testifies to the fact that you rule? It's in that name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.